You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Hey, um, I love National Geographic. National Geographic on Foxtel, not the magazines. That was sort of old school. And I love watching the documentaries on National Geographic because they have all sorts of incredible things. And one of them was, for me, a whole uh, hour and a half program uh, of someone, after years and years of various research and that sort of stuff, claiming uh, that the moon landing was indeed a conspiracy It was a fake. It was something that the uh, US government had just drummed up. They'd made up all sorts of photographs and they'd all sorts of pulleys and attachments to stop the guys from looking like they're on Earth. And and it was all one big conspiracy. And I don't don't, look, I don't know where you stand at the spectrum of moon landing conspiracies. But for me, by the end of an hour and a half, like there was at least a little bit of a 1% chance in my mind that that could be true. And what is ironic is, regardless of all the evidence for the Apollo moon landings, polls have been taken in America that say between 6 and 20% of Americans surveyed believe that the uh, manned landings were faked, rising to 28% in Russia. That means one in three Russians are running around thinking that man never walked on the moon, even after space shuttles have gone there and taken photos and all that sort of stuff. Now, what am I getting at here? Is it just me or are we living in an increasingly sceptical culture? <laughs> like it's just, it's, it can't be true. There's all this scepticism and conspiracy theories and doubt really is, is all of our problem whether you're a Christian or not tonight. We live on this continuum of scepticism, whether it's 1% or 28% if you're in Russia. Uh, we live in this world of increasing doubt and scepticism and the question for us in this new series is where does that leave Christianity? Was the whole cross thing faked? Christians set up some backdrops down there in Calvary? Or was it the real deal? You see, it's part of the reason for this next six-week series called Roadblocks. Uh, We're going to look at some of the roadblocks, the barriers to belief in Christianity. Now, it's based on the book by uh, Tim Keller, The Reason for God, a book that has profoundly shaped my Christianity uh, last year as I was reading through this. It's 15 bucks from Kurong. I really uh, encourage you to grab a copy of this over the next six weeks and and read through this and we'll really leverage off many of the key concepts in this book. Um, But why? Why look at this sort of stuff? Well, look, first of all, it's a great opportunity to invite your mates who might be a bit sceptical. I can't answer the moon landing stuff, but we are going to be able to talk about uh, what the Bible says to some of the great objections in the Bible. But also for you, if you're a Christian, it's, it's an opportunity to strengthen your faith to strengthen your faith and your ability to speak into a world that's so sceptical. And so we'll be looking at these barriers to belief. Barriers like exclusivity. Is Jesus the only way to God? Barriers like hell. Why does God seem so angry all the time? Barriers like truth. You know, why is it that Christians seem to claim that they've got truth on everything? Aren't there lots of different truths? Suffering. If if, If God is so good, then why does he allow bad things to happen to good people in this world? Why does he allow it to go on? Now, there's a, there's a common theme, there's a common thread through each and every one of these objections, these roadblocks, and that is doubt. And that's what we look at first tonight. It's doubt. At the heart of this general objection that we might hear from friends and family members and co-workers is this. I've got one or two doubts about Christianity, so therefore, how can God exist? How can it be true? And tonight we'll learn, we'll learn about doubt. 
two simple things. Your need for doubt and what you can do with doubt. And uh, we go to a guy in John's Gospel that uh, is Mr. Doubt himself, Thomas. And so in John chapter 20, verses 30, 20, sorry, uh, 24 through to 30, it says here that Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Uh, Travolta is known for many great movies, uh, Staying Alive, um, he, Greece. Um, one that you might not have seen because it went straight to um, straight to TV movie was um, the boy in the bubble. And uh, in that movie, poor Travolta was uh, a young boy who was born with an improperly functioning immune system, and so therefore, if he had any contact with the air around him, then it would it would kill him. And so he had to live in this plastic bubble in incubator-type conditions. And part of the whole movie tracks his desire to move out into the outside world and the impending fear that, uh, that this outside world and contact with air would pierce his precious bubble and, and, and kill him. And he inevitably falls in love with the girl next door, Gina. And uh, at the end of after having this discussion with his doctor, realises he's just going to take the risk. And he gets out of his bubble and he rides off into the sunset on the back of a horse. I love TV movies. Guys, what I want to say tonight, first thing you need to know is you need doubts in your faith. You need doubts because a faith without doubts is like a body without antibodies in it. Without thinking through the objections to the faith, it has the ability to crumble our faith underneath us. You you know, I, I think about the concept of vaccination. I mean, that is a ludicrous concept, right? That you inject the very disease that has the potential to kill you into your five-year-old child, and yet we do it all the time. We, we inject the very things that could kill you and crumble you, and yet it gives the body its ability to build up its defences, to build up its defences against this attack from the outside. Guys, uh, you need doubt, because to do so, we could potentially have a faith that crumbles underneath us. And look, it is one of the saddest things of my ministry thus far to have watched people that I call close friends um, who are no longer in the church because the, the doubts and the probing questions of, 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 a, of a friend or a family member has crumpled their faith. You need doubt. You need doubt because people who go through life too busy to stop and reflect about the objections to the faith or, or, or will pretty much find themselves defenseless against these probing questions and the faith will crumble. Now, not only that, but if you witness the alternative to people that don't have a solid foundation defense for their faith, they often are the Christians that become, let's be real, downright obnoxious. 
They're the ones yelling at people and having a go at people because, frankly, um, people like that who adopt that, a stance where attack is really the best defense. If you're not confident in uh, the foundation and the defense for your own faith, then that's why Tim Keller says we often don't reason with the other side, we attack. Why? Because we're afraid the bubble's going to burst. We're afraid we're going to have contact with the big bad outside world and, and somehow these passengers are going to come into the very heart of our faith and we become little Christian bubble boys and girls. Afraid to venture out into the wide world. Look, see, this is why we're doing this series, guys. It's why we're talking through this topic called apologetics uh, where it deals with the defense of the faith because tonight it's about faith vaccinations. These connect group studies that we're going to have over the next five weeks in these roadblocks books when we go through our our connection group studies throughout the young adult groups. These, I tell you what these things are not. These things are not holy hand grenades to go lobbing at your friends that don't believe. This is not a book full of ammunition that you can go start shooting people with. And and, 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 you've seen those sorts of Christians, right? They have all their rote learned little answers and, and, and they want to go and hit people with that. No, it's, um, it's vaccinations, guys. That's what we're doing. It's vaccination time as we become more aware of the roadblocks to Christianity. And not only that, our own doubts. As we become more aware of our own doubts in the faith, then our faith doesn't get weaker, it gets stronger. And so here's a side note too. How did Jesus react when he was confronted by a, doubt- a doubting Thomas? Did he walk in like a stunned mullet? Or like a, mag- a magician who's had his tricks exposed? <laughs> oh... He said, here, here, are my, here are my hands. Um, take a look, Thomas. He challenged him to look at the evidence. He challenged Thomas to look at the facts that were before him. In fact, um, there's another great passage in Mark chapter 9, verses 24, where Jesus um, uh, comes to a guy who has who, uh, got a boy that is demon-possessed. And the disciples can't get rid of this demon in the boy. And Jesus comes along and he says, oh, you unbelieving generation. And, uh, and, and the, the father pleads with Jesus. He says, do something if you can. Jesus sort of says, if I can. <laughs> Anything's possible with those who believe. And the guy says to him, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And then Jesus heals the kid. What does that say about the presence of doubt and faith? He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Did Jesus say, look, go back, do your homework, work on it a bit more. You need doubts in your faith. Jesus challenged Thomas in the midst of his doubts. And and here's the important thing I want you to get tonight. We must recognize, particularly if you're a Christian, because we're not going to beat you over the head with this, it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have an aspect of doubt within your faith. The doubts are healthy. It's what makes us stronger. So now the question is, if we know that we need doubts, what do you do with them? What do you do with your doubts? Well, uh, the first thing you can do is doubt your doubts. And we'll get to this in a second. Have, have you ever heard, had someone say to you, look, I, look I, can't, I can't believe in that Christianity stuff. I can't believe I'm, I'm not gullible like you faith guys. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a smart person. I, I understand what's going on. You know, look, nonsense. We've all got faith. We've got fierce faith in lots of things. You guys have got a lot of faith in the chairs that you're sitting in right now. (laughs) We're placing our faith in all sorts of things every day without thinking about it. And see, I put it to you tonight, guys, that the reasons why some people or we can't believe in Jesus is not that because we're incapable of faith, but because we've already got our faith locked up in in something else. 
faith in our achievements, faith in our circumstances, faith in our bank balance. And so in that way, here's the thing. The presence of doubt in your life is not a lack of faith. It's just faith in an alternate belief. Doubt in belief A is actually faith in belief B. You get what I'm saying? Let me take you back a couple of steps. We go through to the empty tomb when um, Jesus, right before this passage, um, had appeared to Mary Magdalene at the, at the tomb. She looks in, she sees it's empty. And uh, the angels come up to her and say, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And then, uh, and then she turns around and see him, confusing him with the gardener. Says, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. <laughs> and she turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means holy cow. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It means teacher. I was just checking if you're reading with it. But see, well, look, what is, what is going on there? Look, if you've got him, tell me where he is. You know what Mary is thinking? She's thinking something that was really common in Jerusalem in there. She looks in the empty tomb. She thinks grave robbery. And this is someone that had been with him and lived with him and sat with him and heard on the, how on the third day the Son of Man must rise again. And yet at that point, doubt in belief A was actually faith in, in belief B. Doubt in the resurrection was actually a stronger faith in grave robbery. So doubt is not a lack of faith. It's just a faith in, in alternate belief. And so when some people say, oh, I doubt Christianity, because they're saying, oh, there's, you know, there's no moral absolutes or there can't just be one truth in the world. There's lots of truths. You know, part of our questioning to that is, well, how, how can you prove that? That's something we'll process in the coming weeks. But how can you prove that? You see, doubts often are just inherited, unprovable beliefs. And so on one hand, we must acknowledge our doubts as Christians, but, um, you know, and also so that we're not believers just on the basis of mum and dad's faith and what they told us. That's why we should look at the faith. But on the other hand, those who don't believe in Christianity must also check to see that they themselves haven't inherited that alternate belief. Like, for example, you know, is it, could it be possible that atheism is an inherited belief? Atheism, the belief that there's no God, can you really 100% prove that there's no God? I mean, uh, Mr. Dawkins himself, the author of The God Delusion, um, in his, in talking about the spectrum of theistic, theistic probability, in his book describes himself as a de facto atheist. In fact, he's got a cool little scale from one to six of some of the ways that you can be a, an atheist. And number six, the de facto one, has a very low probability of God, but short of zero. And so he says here, I don't know for certain, but I think God is very improbable. And I live my life on the assumption that he is not there. Did you guys just hear that? I live my life on the assumption that he's... Live my life on the assumption. What's that? Faith. Dawkins himself, Mr. Atheism himself, is saying, I live my life on faith. And so doubt actually, is, as Keller says, doubt's actually a leap of faith in and of itself. And therefore, if anyone's out there saying, oh, I'd love to believe in Jesus, but I'm sceptical and I'm suspicious and I'm doubtful, then we need to ask him this question. Maybe you need to ask yourself this question. If you're sceptical of Christianity, are you applying as much scepticism to the alternate belief under your doubts? as you are that you're demanding from Christianity. 
In other words, are you, are you requiring the same evidence of your alternate belief than you are of Christianity itself? It's the only fair way to treat Christianity. Has Dawkins done all his research? I'm sure he's a research guy, but he's still a de facto atheist. Very low probability, but short of zero. <laughs> so guys, therefore, you need to doubt your doubts. When you analyse your doubts, when you analyse the belief under your doubts, you often find that they're not as strong as you first thought. And in that we recognise that whether Christian or non-Christian, like Richard himself, we're all people of faith. We're all people of faith. So you've got to doubt your doubts. But here's the thing. If we're people of faith, then it's not the size that matters, but where you direct it. I learned that the hard way in uh, Mount Oosley, sort of north of Wollongong. Have you guys ever been up Mount Oosley? Very steep part of the world. And it was all right because at the time I was, uh, it wasn't that good. I was driving a 1963 MGB convertible at 11 o'clock at night in the middle of the rain. And as I was uh, pouring up in third gear up Mount Oosley there, I began to get a bit of a shudder. I looked at the gauge, everything looked fine there. Got another shudder. Oh, it's not feeling too good. Pumped the accelerator a bit more until... Rain's pouring down everywhere. It's almost like the prayer meeting on Thursday. And, um, and I get out of the car. I, 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 I go through all my mind of the things that could have happened because the gauge is full. And yet I went down. I grabbed a spanner out of the boot. And then I went and sort of shimmied underneath the back of the car and tapped on the tank. And dink, 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 dink. And this wonderful echo and rumble of an empty fuel tank. <laughs> I was out of petrol. And so in that sense, it's not about the size of your faith, but it's the size or the capability of the object of your faith. And so I had an incredible faith in my fuel gauge that night. But when I got through and, 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 and when it failed me, I realised that I could have had the biggest faith in the world and that wouldn't have saved me from those conditions. And so let me try and put it another way for you. Faith is like a light switch. It's, it's the connector to the power. Light, look, lights come on not because the switch is powerful, but because the switch is connected to the power source, right? Faith acts exactly the same way. You don't need to have a powerful faith, but faith in that which is powerful. Are you with me? So guys, faith is always a transfer of trust, not a creation of trust. You know, Kierkegaard said it's a, a leap to faith, not a leap of faith. You don't have to try and conjure up all this faith. You just need to trust, redirect your trust. Trust in what? Faith from the biblical perspective in what Jesus has done, not what he said. Look, you guys know how the modern thinking goes, right? People say, look, I, um, look I, I can't believe all the legendary stuff, all the legends to do with Jesus, you know, his birth and his death and his resurrection. But I know it's important to believe in his teaching. You know, love people and live a good life and heal the world and all that sort of stuff. But look, the disciples, the disciples, Mary was out of her brain. Thomas and the rest of the boys were out of their brain uh, when he died. And they were the ones who lived and breathed with him. They're the ones who saw the miracles. They're the ones who tasted the wine at the party. They're the ones that saw the incredible things in his life and yet their life was a mess. Why? Because it's not abstract principles that change people's lives. It's relationships. 
And so only until Mary had had that encounter with the guy who wasn't the gardener and Thomas had the encounter with the Jesus that somehow got in the room even though the doors were locked, realised that they could re-establish a relationship with a risen Lord. That's where the power is. Look, what's the gospel? The gospel is not heal the world. Make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. I mean, Michael Jackson's already preached that. That's not the, go- the gospel is not what would Jesus do, live the good life, love the good life. The gospel is what has Jesus done? I'm saved on the basis of his work, not my work. I'm saved not on the basis of my behavior, but his behavior. I'm saved on the basis, not on my goodness, but his goodness. And so here's the thing. Christianity, if you're wondering tonight, doesn't tell you to put your faith in Jesus' teaching, but in what he's done. In the, in, in the, and this is the fact that you'll have to reconcile that what the Bible says to you tonight is that there is a person from outside of time who stepped into time and died for your sins and overcame death and showed us that, that there is more to this life than a bunch of atoms that will degrade and fall into the earth who will return to judge the living and the dead. He's your king. He's your saviour. And you can believe in those facts. You can know those facts. You can know him tonight and he will transform your life. Not heal the world. The important thing is not what did Jesus teach, but what did Jesus do? And so my question to you tonight is, what do the petrol gauges of your life look like? Can you really trust them? Can you, can you be absolutely sure that the tank's not empty while your faith in your own competence says that it's full? Therefore, the Christian is the one who simply transferred their trust away from their own gauge into God's gauge. It's not about the power of your faith. It's not about the size of your faith. It's how you direct it. Doubt your doubts. Direct your faith. And finally, guys, you've got to drop your conditions. What did Thomas first say? Said to him, the boys, they've told him all the story. They're back in the room. I would have felt a little bit left out because they all got the cool resurrection appearance. He didn't get anything. And I can relate to this guy. He said, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And yet the funny thing is that almost every commentator says, and it's possible, but most commentators believe that Thomas never touched Jesus. And yet we see a statement that says, my Lord. It's really not a fair, um, just as a side note, it's not the fairest of labels or stereotypes we could give him, could we? Uh, doubting Thomas. He didn't doubt for very long, I realised when I was reading through this passage. I mean, it was immediate, my Lord. And in fact, John was pointing to that. This is one of the greatest professions of faith that you see in the entire Bible. And 2,000 years later, he's still regarded as doubting Thomas. <laughs> Cut him a break. <sighs> Back to it here. What's, what's happening? What's, what's happening? He didn't touch him. What, what was happening? Thomas dropped his conditions. Thomas had conditions for belief in Jesus. He said, remember, unless I seal the nail marks in his hands, I'll put my finger where the nails were, then I won't believe it. I won't believe Jesus until Jesus does X for me. I won't believe Jesus until Jesus does X for me. Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> we do it all the time. I won't believe God unless he does X for me. I won't, I won't believe God until he does X for me. You know what's happening here? Whatever your X is, is what you really have faith in. Faith is never the creation of trust. Remember, it's a transfer of trust. And so Thomas's first thing he did is he dropped his ex. Not his ex-girlfriend. Um, I'm talking about that thing, 
that it was for him, his condition that he'd set up. He said to the boys, unless I see and put my fingers in there, I won't believe it. And here's the thing he did not touch. So guys, what is your ex tonight? We all have them. Unless God shows up and gives me a cracker career. Unless God gets rid of this pain of unforgiveness that I'm feeling. Unless God blesses me financially. Unless God just shows himself to me, gives me an angel or something like that, then X. And I've got to wonder tonight, sometimes is it really about doubt or is it about the right to control your own life? Because you can't read through this book and you can't encounter this resurrected Jesus and still have that claim over your life when you encounter him and everything that he stands for. I put it to you, I've been processing my mind, if he turned up himself, would would it change things for me? He sat in my office there with the, the marks and the hands because it's, look, I can't trust myself as a, as a three-year-old kid. I'm sure none of you guys sort of did this, but, you know, you'd want to go off and play and your parents would say to you, no, not until you've cleaned your room. And uh, as a kid, you'd look at them for a little bit and then you'd just turn around and go the other way. And so they're, they're just the boss person that's telling me what to do and I don't want to do it. I'm going my own way. And, then, and yet some of us see God in that way. And I think if he even turned up here on this stage tonight, maybe, maybe people still wouldn't believe because it's about control and not necessarily doubt. You see, gospel's not just about intellect, but it's about heart effect. Of course there's content of the gospel, of course there's facts, of course there's truth, but it's a power that comes into your life and it transforms you and it, it changes who you are. And the thing is, you can't argue someone into the kingdom of God. You can't argue someone into the faith until it becomes real for them, the way it became real for Thomas. Look at verse 27 again. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting, believe. And after all that, guys, he never touched him. What was going on? How did he overcome the doubt? How, it could have been a dream. It could have been a hallucination if he didn't touch. It could have been just like the moon landing. Here's what went on, guys. Thomas, like any other person that calls himself a Christian tonight, after he stared into those wounds, realized that Christianity is the faith of personal pronouns. That is, he looked in those wounds and he thought, did he do that for me? And he said, my Lord. Guys, if you, if you come to the Bible, if you come to church, if you come to a friend... And you say that Jesus, yep, I believe Jesus was born and Jesus lived and Jesus died and Jesus ascended and Jesus is coming back. That doesn't make you a Christian. But if you come and say Jesus was born for me, Jesus lived for me, Jesus died for me, Jesus ascended for me, Jesus is coming back for me, then that's what makes you fall to your feet and say, my Lord. The gospel is not about intellect. A three-year-old can understand it, but it's about heart effect. And so it's not an overly complicated set of propositions that these guys, including Thomas, witnessed a risen Christ. It's not that intellectual, rather it is to weigh up all the evidence that we have had today in the church and the history that is our wonderful rich history. The fact that Jesus being resurrected was as ludicrous back to first century Palestinians as it is for us today. Looking at the facts that we have to account for a movement that within a hundred years of its beginning turned what was known as the ends of the world totally and utterly upside down. I mean, after 64 million hits, the Coney video hasn't even done that this week. It's a power. 
And it means if you want a bit of that world-changing power, you need to dump your ex. You've got to drop your conditions on him. God, I'll only believe if X. What is it? Guys, let me finish with this. Blaise Pascal, the philosopher and scientist and mathematician, came up with a thing that's called Pascal's Wager. He was a scientist that was pondering the questions of the universe and particularly this issue of doubt in Christianity. And he came up with his final conclusion. God is or he is not. A game is being played where heads or tails will turn up. According to reason, you can defend neither of the propositions. You must wager. It's not optional. Let us weigh the gain and the loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate these two chances. If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that he is. There is here an infinity of an infinitely happy life to gain, a chance of gain against a finite number of chances of loss, and what you stake is finite. And so our proposition is of infinite force. When there is the infinite to stake in a game where there are equal risks of gain and loss, the infinite is to gain. Hell, truth, exclusivity, was the world created in seven days? Was it not created in seven days? There will be doubts. But we are at a junction point where even a scientist and a mathematician like Pascal says, even if the whole thing was a game, there is infinitely more to gain. That is the story of the entire Bible. Jesus Christ said, I have come to give you life and life to the full. Don't leave your decision just on the toss of a coin like Pascal did, look at the evidence, listen to the apostles, read through the stories. It'll come alive for you. Guys, you have everything to gain by transferring your trust in Jesus Christ tonight. I can't do it for you, nor am I here to argue you two into it. But I've got to ask you, is doubt one of your roadblocks to belief in Christianity? Is doubt crippling your Christianity? Then I've just got to ask you, have you been vaccinated? May we realise, guys, tonight that doubts are okay and more importantly, friends, to call each other Christians, let's not be lazy Christians. Let's think, let's reason, let's find a best way, a best and only way to win the world, not out of attack, because we have no defence, but of gentleness and humility and one of the great reasons for our belief. Have you been vaccinated? Are you doubting your doubts? May you recognise that you haven't got a faith issue tonight. You've got faith in lots of things. If you want faith in Jesus Christ, the question is, are you treating Christianity fairly? Are you being just as sceptical of your non-belief as you are in belief in Jesus Christ tonight? Do you need to redirect that? Most of all, guys, do you need to drop your conditions? What's your ex? We all got one. May the truth of the gospel move you from the mere intellectual to the heart effectual. It's the only way it's going to happen. If something is stirred deep within you tonight, if you've been asking lots of questions, keep asking questions. There's going to be an opportunity for that tonight, but there's going to be an opportunity for you to place your faith in Jesus Christ, realign that trust, and gain absolutely everything that there is through faith in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for your revelation to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for a church and a community tonight that reasons and that thinks and that processes those challenging questions and objections to the faith. 
Father, I pray for those tonight that might still have those questions. I pray for anyone here tonight that wouldn't call themselves a Christian and might they see that in this place is a place of love and of warmth and of acceptance and a place in which it's okay to doubt and it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to process these bigger picture of the incredible work that you've done in this universe. But Father, we pray for friends. We pray for family. We pray for co-workers that over these next six weeks, over this next year, that, Father, you will ordain opportunities for us to share the greatest story in the world, that there is a God that is broken into this place in the person of Jesus Christ. We can place our trust in him and get started on the greatest adventure we'll ever experience for all of eternity. Be with us all this week. Reveal more of us more of you to us, Father God, through your Holy Spirit. And we pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.